0: me to the book of Matthew, if you would, to the seventh chapter. While you're turning, we'd like to say we will be starting a new stewardship class real soon. We're on lesson 10 downstairs how many of you, uh, it doesn't make any difference how long you've been in the church. We've got new people here that have not been in stewardship, but what we're trying to do is season the class with the people who have been in the church for some time to offer a lot of advice and fellowship. Now, how many of you Who have been in the church some time would like to go through a stewardship class on Sunday morning with some new ones downstairs. Would you raise your hand way up? All right, we've got a good number of hands. How many of you new ones then uh, have not been in stewardship? Raise your hand up, okay? Right here. All right, a good number here. That's good. It's always good to see the Lord at work in your life. Tom was up here praying. I remember the first time I met him. You know where I met him? On a Saturday evening, he came to a stewardship class with Brother Rich Brown. And I questioned Brother Brown's uh, wisdom in bringing him. Because he walked in, and guess what I was teaching on? Tithing. Giving and receiving. Isn't that right, Brother Tom? And the Lord really talked to his heart. Now, he has since moved up to walk, and he attends Brother Schultz's church there. But it's good to see him develop and grow in the Lord and and uh, praise God. God's so good. That's something I want to talk to you about this morning that I feel is so very simple, but yet so very valuable. Matthew 7 verse 24. <clears throat> Jesus gives a parable. Therefore, Whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him to a wise man which built his house upon a rock. Isn't that great? Jesus said, now, when you hear these things and doeth them, all right, and the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell not for it was founded upon a rock. And every one that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house. And it fell and great was the fall of it. And it came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine. For he taught them as one having authority. And not as the scribes. God bless you. You may be seated. Basically, Jesus is ending his Sermon on the Mount. We just walk through the Sermon on the Mount. It'd be good for us to do that. So take your Bibles and turn to Matthew 5. Matthew 5, verse 1 through 12. Jesus gives the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes basically are attitudes which we are to become or be. So he gives a proper attitude of the Christian. Then he compares the believer to salt. He also compares the believer to a city that's set upon a hill, verse 13 and 14. Then he talks about the light of the gospel that we have in our hearts in verse 15, he compares it to a candle, Said so it doesn't make sense, you know, to put a candle under a bushel. Then in verse 17, all the way down through verse 30, Jesus talks about himself as he relates to the law or his relationship to the law. Jesus then talks about marriage and divorce. In verse 31 through verse 48. He continues the Sermon on the Mount. Through uh, uh, chapter 6. Now I said he talked about marriage and divorce through verse 48. That's, that's not true. Let's back up. He talked about marriage and divorce through verse 32. And then he picks up on this attitude again. Where he wants his divine nature and character at work in us. And he goes down through verse 48. He speaks of prayer and the way that we should pray. He gives what we call the the, uh, the Lord's Prayer, verse 8 through 6, 15 of chapter 6. He talks of externalism and, and how some people do things only to be seen. And uh, he talks about the fasting and the way some people do it, which is out of order. He talks about the kingdom law of riches in verse 19 through 24. And he talks about the Lord being able to take care of us, verse 25 through 34. He goes all the way down to, uh, or starts chapter 7, and he goes all the way down to verse 6 talking about uh the way we judge situations and how that he forbids us to judge situations in which we have no no uh, business judging he encourages us to pray in verse 7 of chapter 7 down through verse 11 he talks about the old testament righteousness in verse 12 he talks about the two ways now, I have a reason for calling your attention to all this. He talks about the two ways in uh, which we can walk. We can walk the straight and the narrow or the broad way. He talks or warns against false teachers in verse 15. Then he talks, verse 15 through 20, in verse 21 through 23, he talks about our profession, professing without faith and the danger of it. And then he says, therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine. Now, he had really talked about a lot of things. I mean, he had talked about a lot of things. Now, he challenges us. We're not really talking about the building of the house. But we want to talk about the foundation upon which you build this morning. And I think that's so very, very important. Now, what you build upon the foundation is important also. Now, I don't think you can just build any type of experience on, on the foundation. Now, Jesus Christ is the foundation upon which we are to build. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians, the third chapter, and we'll just uh, briefly talk to you about The only foundation upon which we are to build. First uh, Corinthians 3 verse 9. For we are labors together with God. You're God's husbandry. You're God's building. See what, what what the Lord does. The Lord compares buildings with people and people with buildings. We are the temple of God. God dwells in us. He lives in us. So you are God's building. Verse 10, according to the grace of God which is given unto me. As a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. Now, I think it's very, very important that we understand that what you build on the foundation... Must be complementary to the foundation. Now that's a very, very important thing. I'm not talking this morning, however, about works or what you build on that foundation. You see, if you find the foundation and you start building on the foundation, that foundation is Jesus Christ and you have to go uh, the way that Jesus told you to do it. Now the death, the burial, and the resurrection is the gospel. Jesus Christ died, Jesus was buried, Jesus arose. Jesus Christ is the author and finish of our faith. Jesus Christ is Alpha and Omega. He is the beginning and the end. He's the first and the last. Besides him there is none other. The Apostle Paul tells us in the book of Galatians, he says, if a man come preaching any other gospel, than the gospel that I have preached unto you Even though he be an angel from heaven, let him be accursed. Now, there's only one way that you can find the correct foundation. And that is, you've got to repent of your sins. See, the gospel is the death, the burial, and the resurrection. Jesus Christ died, he was buried, and he arose. We have the opportunity of repenting, where we associate ourselves with his death, We have the opportunity of being baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, where we associate ourselves with His burial. You see, we're buried with Him in baptism. We have the opportunity of receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost. This is where we associate ourselves with His resurrecting power. Now, I could go into a lot of Scripture with you this morning as it parallels with the operation of Jesus Christ In his death, burial, and resurrection. Now if you don't have that experience, you're just not on the right foundation. You see, that's what what Jesus was saying. It is possible to build and not even build on the right foundation. It is possible, however, to build on the right foundation and not build correctly. See? Now this is what Paul is saying here in 1 Corinthians 3. He says, for no other foundation can no man lay that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man built upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall trial every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, so yet as by fire. And I think basically what what the Lord is saying here is that, you see, you can be on the right foundation yourself, but you can build something that's not complementary. A lot of people, for an example, they, they get baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost. And then they set out to disciple people. When they get people, they they disciple people around themselves. And people lean upon them more than they lean upon the Lord. So when they stumble, their disciples stumble also. And you see, every man's work will be tried by fire. Now does that mean if a man then disciples people around himself, and when the fire comes, they fade, they backslide, Does that mean that he just automatically is lost? Paul said, no, that doesn't really mean that, but he really wasn't a wise builder. And you know, we're living in the day of the fire. Now you may say, what kind of fire are you talking about? Are you talking about persecution and trials altogether? Well, yes and no. You know, this business of being tested and tried comes in so many different ways, sometimes very subtle ways. See, the Bible says, beware when all men speak well of thee. Sometimes, you know, we can get caught up in, in, in just making everybody feel good about us. Not understanding that, that this type of trial that the Lord allows us to go through can be more devastating sometimes than, than, than people openly rebuking us and defying us. So all of life is a is a testing ground. It's a it's a trial. Uh, it doesn't make any difference whether you're in poverty or riches. You're going to be tried. Does not make any difference whether you're in health or 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 sickness? You're going to be tried. You know, you just you're tried every day. Everybody's tried. That's life. And so so we're all we're all tried. All over and over and over and over. Over, We are tried. But I was just thinking about our present world. You know, uh, I listen to the radio going up to, to Warsaw, and of course I listen to, to all the news on the radio. I just get all the news I can because sometimes I can't read the papers the way I like to. I'm just really amazed at some of the thinking of American people. I don't know if this is true in all the world, because I have very little contact with people outside of America. But Miss America was robbed of her title and uh, stripped of her crown because that she posed nude or in the nude for, uh, Penthouse magazine. And then, of course, I heard a statement made by one of the one of the judges who was to. Helped decide he was on the board there to decide whether a crown should be stripped and also of the photographer who took the pictures and they both they both said well man this is 1984 what's wrong with us and one man said well, what's so immoral about posing in the nude now i read that part in the paper this morning said so what's what's so uh, what's so immoral about that You see, if you can strip off your clothes and pose in the nude and it's not immoral, I don't know that there could be anything that would be immoral. See? See, and that's, that's the world we're living in, see? That is the world we're living in. Let me tell you something. People's minds are so distorted and so mixed up. See? Now, we're considered to be sane people how do you determine what is right and what is wrong? What is is sane and what's insane? I suppose if we had more insane people in the world than sane people, all of those that are locked up for being insane would be turned loose and we'd be locked up. And that would be the case if we did not have a measuring stick to measure some things. Now, Albert Einstein had this to say. He said, if everything in the world is progressively getting larger, at the same time, in the same proportion, nobody would ever know that the world was growing. He also said, if everything in the world was getting smaller, or decreasing, or shrinking, at the same Proportion, nobody would ever know that the world was deteriorating or getting smaller. Now I think you can understand the logic there. It's just a it's a plain, simple thing. You know, if I walked up here and somehow I'd lost two inches, you know, in the last week, and this pulpit had lost two inches, and you'd lost two inches, and the measuring stick by which you'd measure me has lost two inches. And the scales in which I weigh has also changed. Everything would be normal, or at least it would appear to be normal. In actuality, it has changed, but it appears to be normal. You see, we're living in a world in which everything seems to be normal because everything is changing. You may say, well then, Brother Granny, if everything is changing, it's either getting bigger or worse, or or smaller, at least it's getting worse, we know that. Then, then, then tell me then, Brother Grant, how can it be measured? Because there is one thing that never changes. The measuring stick. You see, if I got smaller and the pulpit got smaller and the scales got smaller and everything else got smaller, I would never know that I was getting smaller or I was losing. But if this got smaller... I got smaller. My suit got smaller. But the measuring stick didn't. Then I know when I stepped on the scales and they put the, the bar across my head, I'd know then that it's me that's changing because what I'm measured by remains the same. And you see, we're all measured by this book I preached last Sunday morning on hell and showed you in the book of Revelation where the Bible says that we will be judged according to the things that are written in the book. Books, pardon me, books. We have 66 books full of the Word of God. And you know what the Bible says? The Bible says the Word of the Lord is forever settled in heaven. If every man in the world voted against morality and we became a gross immoral society our vote wouldn't count one bit against God's vote I remember reading in the comics I don't know two or three years ago uh, Dagwood or Blondie it was had everybody voting they wanted to go to the park for the day they had a holiday and so they called the kids together how many kids do they have now two kids, okay, and they got one dog, and the dog's name is Daisy, okay, <laughs> I'm just checking to find out how many people read the comments. before <laughs> I so uh, uh, I thought if nobody knew I'd drop it, <laughs> but <laughs> at any rate, uh, here's Blondie, and and uh, the two kids and Daisy and they, and they all vote and it's four and Dagwood didn't want to go he wanted to sleep so uh, he just stayed on the sofa and they came and woke him up and said we voted to go to the, to the zoo he says, oh no he said you lost they said how come we, it's four to one he says no I got five votes <laughs> and you see that's the way God is well, if everybody votes against him, listen, his one vote really is, is more than all of ours. And why can it be? Because we come out of God. He is our Father, as Brother, Brother Crowder told us. He is a creator of all things. His vote means more than my vote. And so what is right and wrong is determined by God. And listen, I've got to tell you, I have a real fear in my heart for our present society because it, in a, a landslide um, approach, we are, we are sliding toward the pits of hell quickly. And it looks like we're all giggling our way down the Broadway for destruction. And, and then somebody comes along that's straight-laced and has good morals and everything, and, and they're looked down upon as if they're abnormal. Now, I told you I wasn't going to talk about what we build, but I'm going to talk about the foundation. And the reason why that I want to talk about the foundation, because, you see, it doesn't make any difference what kind of building you try to build, whether it be complimentary or not, if it's not on the right foundation, it will fall. And if there ever was a time in which we need to dig deep. Now when I say dig deep, you see, I think this is basically what Jesus was talking about when he talked about the two foundations. You, you see, uh, he, he spoke of a man who, who built his house upon the rock and one who built his house upon the sand. Basically, I, I think the logic of this is that in order to find rock, and the proper kind of rock, you've got to do some digging. And you know, if you just found a flat rock out someplace and you went out and said, Oh, rock is a good foundation. You see, it may be that that rock is only a surface rock. And it might be that the, the heaving and such uh, uh, of the soil uh, during the, the times of the frost and, and, and the thawing, uh, that rock may shift. And uh, there are a whole lot of uh, so-called Christian rocks around things that appear to be stable that you can build upon. But you see, if your experience in God does not require you to dig to find out what you're getting involved in, you know, and if you find a rock protruding up and if you're not saved, I suggest that you get a shovel, which is a shovel of prayer, and you start digging around that rock and make sure that rock is fastened into the earth. And for the most part, you know, right now, it's real popular to be a Christian. Now, that's hard to say in view of what I said before about uh, about the, the immoral condition of our world. Now, you and I know, and I'm, I'm not trying to make the pulpit a political podium, but for the most part, listen to me carefully, and you can, you can search it back, you can look back, go get your old newspapers if you have it. For the most part, it was the conservative Christian element that put Jimmy Carter in office. Why? Because he was a born-again Christian with a million-dollar smile. Now, I'm not here to to, to, to uh, discuss Jimmy Carter's experience, but what I'm saying is it is popular, see, to be a Christian. But you see, the problem is that there's so many people so many so-called Christians that are not on the foundation. And so when the test comes and trials come and the heat comes, it's real easy for a man who's not on the right foundation who has, has built something just say, well, so it's 1984, what's wrong with posing in the nude? Come on, we're mature, this is a mature world. What's happened? The truth of the matter is the house just fell. You know, the old saying goes like this, a man who will not stand for something will fall for anything. You know what, What's wrong with people that they can't stand up? What, what's wrong with people that they can't get enough God in them and get fastened to the foundation, secure enough to stand up for what they believe? What's wrong with people that they that they don't have enough backbone to, to, to tell uh, to tell people that they just don't do this and they don't do that? I see young people coming in involved in drugs. They drift back in and out, in and out, in and out in the drug scene all the time. Simply because they don't have enough backbone to look at somebody and say, "Look, fellow, the Lord delivered me from these drugs. Don't come around here t- trying to tempt me with drugs." Now, I can assure you of this one thing. You'll never be successful in life, Christian or no Christian, if you don't have some backbone, because if you work on a job, you're going to have to look at people. I don't care what position you're in. If you're in any position of leadership and tell people, no, you can't do that, and you've got to do this. That's the way the world is. We can't just kind of float around like a jellyfish. I used to live in Galveston. I've seen these jellyfish come through the water. Here comes a wave. You know what happens? A jellyfish just kind of. Here comes another wave. That's the way they do. It. You see, and this is what's happening in our in in, in in the American Christian community. Pressure over here. Pressure over here. Pressure over here. And somebody asked me, he said, "What do you think, Brother Grant, about this recent?" business of all these people in the world speaking in tongues. I said, well, I think it's great that people are receiving the Holy Ghost and speaking in tongues, but for the most part, the reason why most people are doing it today is because it's popular. It's faddish with them. But I want to insert something here. Thank God for the United Pentecostal Church. When everybody in the world thought we were ridiculous and going to hell, we still talked in tongues and believed God and stood firm upon the doctrines of Jesus Christ and the foundation of the Word of the Lord. Praise God. And you know what the difference is going to be? One of these days, all this tongue talking is not going to be so faddish. Then who's going to stand? You know, most denominations are just deviations. Now, I may sound extremely cruel to some of you this morning, but you know, I'm really stirred inside. I've got to tell you, I've got a stirring inside of me, and it's hurting me. It's just hard for me to see something as precious as the freedom that we love and enjoy through Jesus Christ and secondly, through our country just being washed down the drain. Now that bothers me by just a whole lot of people that just don't care. Just plain don't care. Oh, listen, let's get our shovels out, and let's dig, let's dig, let's dig. If you never attach yourself to the foundation, I think you need to. Now Jesus Christ is that foundation. If you want to be saved, you've got to be you you've got to want to be saved because you want Jesus. Now, that's very, very important because there's a whole lot of people that run into trouble, and they, they run to the Lord, and they say, well, I, I want God. When do they get back what they've lost, and they don't care anything about Jesus? Now, I have not had a whole lot of experience in building in areas where there were a lot of rock. But do you know the truth, the, the truth of the matter is, did you know it's harder to build on a natural foundation that it is than it is on a man-made foundation. Now listen to me. I said I haven't had a lot of experience. I've had some. If you go out, let's say you go out to Wisconsin River someplace, and you find, a, you buy a piece of property and where you want to build, you turn the soil down one foot and there's a solid rock. Now you got problems building on that rock because of how big it is and the reason why is because you have to take all of the soil off you've got to dig it off and you've got to drill down into that rock and you've got to attach you've got to attach your building to that rock it's a whole lot easier so you just go out someplace in a sand field take your bulldozer out there and dig down and pour your own cement and come up and do it your own way And this is the reason why that a whole lot of people in our present world, when it comes to living for God, uh, they're off and running before some people get started. And the reason why, because they see they build their own foundation, they put their own building on it, it's a whole lot easier to do it your own way. And hasn't this been man's problem through the years, trying to do everything the way he thinks it ought to be done? See, when, when, when the Lord told... Uh, Noah and his sons that he wanted them to be scattered upon the face of the earth and so forth. What did they do? They got down in the valley. They began to build in the valley on the sands of Shinar. And they were going to build a tower to reach heaven. Now you see this is symbolical of man wanting to go to heaven separate and apart from what God says. So we're just going to build us a tower to get up there. And so they got down in the the valley and the sands of Shinar, and they dug their own foundation and built their own building. And the reason why that it's so difficult for some people to really get established in God is the fact that, listen, when you you dig down and you find the rock and you, you know that it's a rock, you've got to attach yourself to that rock. in other words you have to become one with the rock because if you don't become one with the rock then what's going to happen when the wind blows it will blow the building off the rock now you know that I went to went down to Chicago uh, three or four years ago Sister Grant and I went up in the Sears Tower now that is a tall tall building it's a quarter of a mile high. How many of you have been up in the to Sears Tower? I can't believe that anybody could build anything like that. It is, it is amazing to me that some people could build something like that. Well, I was, all, I was very interested in it. I always have been in, in buildings. So I picked up a brochure and asked a few questions around there. You know, to build something that, 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 uh, that tall... You've got to go a long ways down in the ground. The Sears Tower doesn't really go that deep in the ground. It goes down about three hundred feet. Now that's that's uh, that's that's not very far down compared to the to the quarter of a mile high building, fifteen hundred and something feet high, is it? So. That's not real, real high. You think a wind see that would blow against something like that, and it does sway at the top. Well, it would just uproot it. But the architects figured out where to put the building. There is a bedrock underneath the Sears building that's larger than the city of Chicago, it goes way out into Lake Michigan and around. And when they dug down, they literally drilled into that rock. And they attached that building to the rock. It's one with the rock. And they say the only way that the Sears Tower will fall is that it'll have to turn Chicago upside down. Because it's anchored in the rock. It's anchored in the rock. Praise God. The only way the true church of the living God can and will be destroyed is to turn heaven upside down. Because my Bible tells me in Matthew 16, Jesus answered and said unto him, that's Peter, Blessed art thou, art thou Simon, Jonah, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Now he's talking about the revelation of what? Who Jesus is. You see, Jesus is the foundation. And if you don't know who he is, you don't know where the rock is. And you can't build upon a hidden rock. It's just gas. Now, I know that, that this may seem contrary to some of you. But the church, the true blood-bought Jesus' name church of Acts, the second chapter, and the, the church that the epistles were written to was a Jesus' name oneness church that baptized in Jesus' name. Now, that only comes by revelation. And if you don't know where the rock is... You can't build on the rock. Because the rock is the foundation. Is it not? Okay. So, Peter understood who Jesus was. Thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. He said, now, flesh and blood did not reveal this unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven... And I say unto thee, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now the foundation of the church is what? Is who? It's Jesus Christ. That's what the foundation is. The foundation of the church is Jesus Christ, none other. Now you see, just because you know Who Jesus is from a simple Christian concept or from a Christian education. You know, if you were to walk in church after church, who is Jesus? The Son of God? The Savior of the world? Yeah, but who is He? See, my Bible says He is the Mighty God, He's the Everlasting Father, He's the Prince of Peace. If somebody asked me, Brother Grant, who is Jesus? And they said, do you believe he's the Son of God? I say, yes. Well, I do too. Do you believe he's the Christ? Yes. Well, I do too. Now, it's my time to ask questions. Do you believe he's God made manifest in human flesh? Nope. Well, I do. Do you believe he's the everlasting Father? Nope. But I do. Do you believe he's the Almighty God? Nope. But I do. You see... The difference is, the difference is, in what you believe about him, you've got to know him, you've got to find him. And you can't build upon something that you know nothing of. If he is hidden, you can't attach yourself to him. If there ever was a time in which men really need to look at the scripture concerning the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ it's this day, it's this hour that we live in because you see Peter made the confession of who Jesus was and Jesus said upon this rock now the word Peter means rock but it means a small pebble or stone the word rock that's used here upon this rock he's talking about a gigantic rock, a boulder a huge rock I build my church. You see, the rock that's spoken of here is Jesus. And the confession of whom the apostles believed that Jesus was is one with the rock. From the book of Ephesians, I want to show you something here in the scripture that I think is very important. Uh, Verse 19, now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens of the saints of the household of God. And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Now, it almost sounds like here that what the Bible is saying is we're built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. In other words, the church is built upon the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. I think what the scripture here is saying, what did the apostles say about Jesus? Who did they say he was? What about what about the prophets of old? Who did they say he was? Jesus Christ himself is the foundation. But you see, the apostles and the prophets became one with him. Now let me show you something here. The holy city of New Jerusalem that ascended out of God from heaven in Revelation 1.14 had the names of the apostles written upon the foundations. Now, it doesn't mean the holy city rests upon the twelve apostles. It says that the names of the apostles were written upon those foundations. In other words, what I think the scripture is saying here being that Jesus Christ is the foundation. What Peter did, he walked up there and he put his name on there. And he said, This is my foundation. This is the foundation of Peter. And Paul wrote his name upon that and said, This is the foundation of Paul. And the apostles, of uh, the prophets of old, Isaiah, wrote his name upon it and said, This is the foundation of Isaiah. And they became one with the foundation. The reason why that this is important, because you see, God wants his the building to be inseparable from the foundation when he compares us to a body he kind of inverts the situation he says I'm the head and you're the body but you just can't cut off your head someplace you ever heard of a man who was amputated from his head down you just can't do that can you You see, you you can't lose your head and live. And you don't have a building unless you have a foundation. And a foundation is no good without a building because that's the purpose of it. And I think it's high time that you and I, we want to make sure that we are secured to that foundation. I'm going to look around that foundation and make sure my name is on that. I don't know that I'll ever be able to do it. But I trust and pray that whenever I ascend to the holy city, I can just say, wait just a minute, Lord, before I come in. And I'm going to look up underneath there and I'm going to write my name on that foundation and say, I agree with these buddies of mine. You see that's the type of relationship this is the reason why that 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 Saul who held the coats of those stoners when stephen lost his life he took and got letters to go to damascus and while he was on his road to damascus there was a voice that came from heaven saying Saul Saul why persecutest thou me well now you see Saul later on said I had put people to death thinking I was doing God a service. But all of a sudden, here this voice came from heaven and said, Why are you persecuting me? Well, my. <laughs> I don't ever remember persecuting God. At least he 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 identified the voice as being God. Now here's where the revelation comes in. He said, oh, wait a minute. Who are you, Lord? He had to have that revelation. He had to know. Who are you, Lord? There's a voice that came from heaven and said, I am Jesus. Whom, now notice this, whom thou persecutest. Did, 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 did Saul of Tarsus spit in his face? Was he the man that held the cat of nine tails that put the lashes upon his back? Was he the man with the axe in his hand that cut down the tree? Was he the man with the shovel that dug the hole? Did he plait the crown of thorns and place it upon his brow? Was he the Roman citizen that ran, or soldier that ran forth with a spear and ran through his side? Did he hold the mallet in his hand that drove the nails? Was that man dying in the streets? By the name of Stephen. He knew then. That the Lord of the Old Testament. Which was one. Was the Christ of the new. And this man. Who had died. Was so joined to God. So attached to the foundation. That to lay one finger. Against Stephen was bringing accusation against his master. And you see, that's the way the Lord wants us to be. He wants us to be drilled and tapped into the solid bedrock of himself. And if we stand firmly upon the doctrines of the word of the Lord and our experience with Jesus Christ, listen, the Bible says the gates of hell shall not prevail again against us the devil would have to turn heaven upside down there is such a thing as being so secure in God that you would have to overthrow God to overthrow the church now the Bible says in a moment you think you stand take heed lest you fall and I think that's making reference to people who say well I never will do anything wrong I'll never fall And we all know it's by God's grace that we are what we are. But if there ever was a time which we need to really dig down with prayer and seeking God and find that rock and receive a revelation of it and drill deep inside and tap the building, attach the building to it, it's this day and this hour that we live in. Folks, I really don't know what this world has for our young people. And I see these babies that we're dedicating. My, what kind of a world are they going to be brought up in? I'm just really amazed. I am absolutely amazed. But you see, Jesus prophesied that these days would come upon us. The foreknowledge of God worked to our advantage. And he warned us of this day and this hour. Praise God if we've ever needed to, to be secure in the Lord. It's, it's today. And I'm speaking to some young people here who are not in their classes. I'm speaking to some young married couples who have not been the church very long. Listen, there are all kinds of devils that are working for your soul. There are all kinds of devices, all kinds of storms and winds and rains and such. Put yourself in to Jesus. It's time we just launch out of the deep and just just be what we are and be it 100%. Does Jesus want a 50% Christian? No. See, the truth of the matter is there's no such thing. I preached a message here one time, and I entitled A Good-For-Nothing Christian, taking it from the words of Jesus when he said the salt is good for nothing. But in essence, there is no such thing as a good-for-nothing Christian. No such thing. And the reason why is because the term defies the word Christian. If you're a Christian, you're like Christ. And you'd have to have a good-for-nothing Christ to have a good-for-nothing Christian. But if Jesus was good, then we should strive to be everything that he is. Praise God praise God you parents you need to seek God for wisdom for your young people husbands you need to seek God for wisdom for your family mothers you need to seek God for wisdom grandmothers and grandfathers you need to seek God for wisdom God wants Calvary Gospel Church to be everything that the Bible says it ought to be you know every now and then I hear accusation from other people. Said, oh, you mean people people come, new ones come and tell me, said, you know, somebody over here or over there said, you know, over at Calvary Gospel Church, you know. They they even had standard dress standards and dress codes and all this. And and, and I detect sometimes when I hear these that that, that that the new convert or the new person is developing a little bit of a complex. I don't do anything but square my shoulder and say, Yes, sir, we do. Praise God. And we're going to keep it up. Nothing wrong with that. One lady went so far and said, you go to Calvary Gospel Church? Yeah. Isn't that where they make you live, right? And she actually said that. I, I know the name of the lady who said it. <laughs> so, you, Don't they make you live right over there? Praise God. What's wrong with living right (laughs) Hallelujah. Don't you love Jesus? Praise God. Praise God. Let's stand right now. Oh, hallelujah. Jesus is the rock. He's the rock of my salvation. Praise God. I want to be attached to Jesus Christ. But you see, the trend of our day and the philosophy of our day, and it comes from the world, is nobody can tell me anything. No church is going to tell me anything. One lady sat in my office. She went so far as to say, Well, Grant, you're not going to tell me how to live. I said, Oh, yeah? Yeah? That's where you're wrong. I am. It's not really a way to give them an altar call, is it? <clears throat> what's wrong with preachers having backbone? I say, what's wrong with preachers having backbone? I'll tell you one thing. When you lose something very valuable, very precious to your life you'll wish it would have been different I say you'll wish it would have been different I just really believe this morning that there is inside of every one of you because I've heard you talk this past week I think i picked up the pulse beat of Calvary Gospel Church Saints this past week Brother Grant we need to be strong in the Lord I've had people call me on the phone just weeping saying "What's, what's, what's happening Brother Grant what's happening tell me what's happening what's wrong in our world? My this thing is about to fall apart. Isn't there anybody anymore that's straight? Isn't there anybody that stands for for certain things? Hallelujah. Let's just bow our heads right now and thank the Lord for the solid rock and for such a great foundation. Thank you, Lord, for holiness and life and purity and standards. Thank you, Lord, for the solid rock. <laughs> Oh, God. I'd like to call everybody this morning to a place of prayer. Perhaps you'd like to come to the altar and pray. But basically, I'd like for everybody, if they would, to just get down, find a place to kneel and pray. Ask God to give you wisdom in this evil hour. Oh, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Oh, glory to God, glory to God, glory to God, glory to God. Lord, I just love you, I just worship you, I just praise you. Thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord. Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Jesus, Lord, I really love you, God. I worship you, God. I praise you. Glory to your name, Lord. Glory to your name. God, you will live free through the people, God. Oh, God. Oh, you are superior and fast Oh, Lord. Oh, God. Oh, God. oh, God. oh, God. oh God. Oh, thank you, God. Oh, Oh, praise God. And we will be having a baptismal service here this morning. Carol Cole will be baptized. We're waiting for Brother Seidel. He will be doing the baptizing. Praise God. So let's continue to pray and seek the Lord. Oh, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Name of Jesus. Name of Jesus. Name of God. Of God. God. Let's go.